0: You are listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Well, how are we doing, church? Everybody good? Some people still rocking like a Dirty Myrtle hangover or something. I don't know. For y'all been at the beach cooking in the sun, your ears are kind of, you know, we we cranked the music up a little louder today because we figured y'all saw fireworks and you were deaf. We need to, no, we didn't do that. But we're glad that you're here. Uh, once again, if you've got a, if you've got the uh, Vintage Church app and you want to go ahead and pull that up, that'd be a great way for you to follow along today as we dive into God's Word together. Um, there's a notes te- section within that app. You can just press that and it'll have the scriptures that I'm going to be referring to throughout the morning. And we're going to dive into the Word together. Um, I've had... I've had a handful of occasions in my life when I felt the Holy Spirit, I felt the presence of God thicker than others. Y'all you know what I'm talking about? Say amen. Like you've had, I've had moments in my life, I mean, like I said in my prayer, I believe, you know, you, you can't escape God. Come on. Like his presence is everywhere. Like I know we, we, we kind of think, you know, it's funny. So I used to people like, God, we invite your presence here. And he's like, I was already there. I mean, like, he's, all, he's, he's everywhere. We can't escape it. But there's times in our lives, and, and, and it's different reasons and things, but we just kind of connect with God a little bit more, and we recognize him. But I've had a handful, and, and I wish there were more, but I, I've had a specific handful of times in my life when I felt God's presence so real, like, I felt like I could reach out and touch him. You ever had one of those? Like, where he felt, like, physically as present in the room as everything else that was in the room. And God was just so real. I'm talking about hairs on the back of your neck standing up like glory, like real encounters with God. And this morning, before first services, I was worshiping. I just began to think about those moments. And and what I found is pretty much every one of those times that I've experienced him in my life, they have some things in common. Most often, it was when something hard was happening around my life. Something negative, something painful, something frustrating and then I just kind of intentionally and intensely sought him. And, and one of the thing, one of those times, if you've been around Vintage, you've heard me tell this story probably a hundred times. But when I was in the eighth grade, I'll never forget, I came home from school one day, and I got off the school bus, and I walked up our driveway, and I saw my mom's car sitting in our driveway, And I knew right then like something wasn't right because my mom, my mom has always been the hardest working person I've ever known. I mean, she's just, that's just who she is. She had to work hard so that my daddy could afford to preach because preachers don't get paid very much, especially back in those days. And so like when I, when she, when her car was in the driveway, I knew like, why is, why is mama's car in the driveway? This isn't, this isn't right. This isn't good. Something, something, and you, you know, you just have one of those feelings that something weird is happening, and, and I opened the door, and the door from the side of our house went directly into our living room, and there in my living room, my mom and dad were sitting there, and I could tell they had both had been crying, and so you're in the eighth grade, and you're thinking like, you know, what what's going on? Like, what's happening here, and they invited me in, and they sat me down, and they proceeded to tell me my mom had been having some severe headaches for several weeks, and she had gone to the hospital to have some tests, some, some CAT scans, and, and things like that, And I walk in the door, 8th grade, sit down on the couch, and my parents proceed to tell me that they've discovered, the the doctors have discovered a brain tumor in my mom. Now, when you're in the 8th grade, and you hear your mom has a brain tumor, all you're thinking about is, my mom's going to die. And I'm trying to process all that. And in that moment, like you know, sometimes you experience things in your life and you can hardly see past that moment, right? And I should remember thinking, and, and now what's interesting is, I, had, I, I grew up in the church. My dad pastored for 40 years. I, I grew up knowing about Jesus, and knowing, but I, I didn't accept Jesus personally for myself until the summer between my 7th and 8th grade year. And that's a good reminder for everybody in the room. You don't get to heaven on anybody's coattails. You don't, you don't get to be saved because your mom was saved, your dad was saved, your grandmother was saved, your sisters, your brothers. Like, like, There comes a time when every single human life has to make that decision for themselves. Come on. And you can grow up in the church. You can grow up with a Bible on your nightstand. You can grow up with, with Caleb preset number one on your radio. You can wear the T-shirts. You can do all the things. But you have to have a moment when you bow the knee of your heart and accept Jesus for yourself. So I did that between, and this was fall of the eighth grade year. And so my, my initial reaction was just fear. And then my second was anger. Because I keep thinking, what kind of God would allow this to happen to my mom? Why do we even do this whole God thing? And why do we even go to church? And why do we do all this stuff and jump through all these hoops for God? Why do we do all this if a good, loving God is going to allow this kind of thing to happen to my mom? It just so happened that very night we were in the middle of of revival. See, we grew up in the church, man, where like not only did you go to Sunday school preaching, Sunday night midweek prayer meeting, you went to revival twice a year, fall and spring. Come on, somebody. And this was revival, like, like you didn't sit in the front row because he would spit on you. I mean, that's the kind of revival it was, you know, handkerchief wiping the sweat. You were in the splashes zone if you were in the first couple of rows. And I remember thinking, like, I don't want to go to church tonight. Why are we going to church tonight? Apparently, God, God doesn't. God didn't care about us. If God cared about us, He wouldn't allow my mom to, to do any of this kind of thing. And so we went to church that night, and by that time, like, word started to spread around our church family, and. We were in Sanford First Wesleyan Church in Sanford, North Carolina, this little small brick church. And before the service could even get started, they, they had heard about this, and they decided they were going to call the church together to pray. And, and so they bring my mom down to the altar, and they follow what Scripture says. They brought her down. They started to gather the whole church family gathered around her and began to just pray over her and anoint her with oil and that kind of stuff. And, and like, I really didn't want anything to do with that. So I got up, and I slid out the back doors, and went down to the... Our church had a basement. And under the, uh, underneath the church in the basement were all the Sunday school classes. And I went into the first Sunday school class I could find. It was a Sunday school class that I had went through in elementary school. And it and it had one of those little half-moon tables with the little chairs that you had to, if like, even If you're more than about four foot tall, you have to sit in it like this. You know? And I sat down in that chair. And I guess you call it praying. God and I were having a conversation. And I just remember thinking, God, why? 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 why how, how are you going to let my mom die? Why are you doing this to us? And, and, and to be honest with you, I can't even explain to you all that was happening and even everything I was saying. But as I began to just sit there, I just began to cry out to God, And it was like he literally walked into that room. And I I never once uttered a word of healing over my mom. After praying why for just a little while, I just began to just sit there and just weep and, and just invite God just to be real. And God showed up in that room. I mean, as as real as you can imagine it was like he came in not to not to give me answers not to speak anything into my life but as my heavenly father just to hold his desperately hurting son and i remember just sitting there and i just began to just weep right over that table and the spirit began to just fill that room and and i've never heard god audibly speak to me i don't think but it's like God just said, it's okay. Like, I remember those words as I sat there and I just, I was just like worshiping God. And I, and I finally just started uh, just saying like, God, I know you're here. I know you're here. I know you're real. I know you're here. I know you're real. I know you're here. And I just felt like God just saying, it's going to be, It's okay. And, like, I'll be honest with you, I didn't, I didn't really think that that meant, like, your mom's going to be okay, your mom's going to live, everything's going to be fine. It was like God's just saying, like, no matter what, like, I am real. And no matter what comes and goes in your life, no matter who lives, who dies, no matter what changes, I will be now and forevermore the constant source that you need. Like, that's who I'm going to be. And you need to learn this lesson right now. It's okay. It's okay it's okay. That's all I heard. And again, I remember thinking, like, I don't, I didn't feel like God was saying, like, your mom's healed. She's going to be fine. I just remember thinking, God was just reminding me as I worshiped him, as I cried out to him, as I just acknowledged his, for lack of a better way, his realness. He said, it's going to be okay. And I think I even told my parents that we were driving home, like, God told me it's going to be okay. A few days later, get off the school bus again. Walk up the driveway into the house, and my parents are there again, crying. And so I'm thinking, it's bad. Like not only does she have a brain tumor, like we're about to hear, it's really bad. So they sit me down, and it turns out when my mom was given the results, they had read somebody else's results. My mom's name is Joe Ann Smith. They read the results of a man named Joe A Smith. And had given her his results. And she was completely fine. Turns out, I think he passed away just a few weeks later. But my mom was fine. She had no brain tumor. And she lived to deal with me through my teenage years. That was a defining moment in my life. Because in that moment, God taught me something that he's had to reteach me several times throughout my life. That when, when we go through difficult things in life, the only way through it is to worship through it. Like God taught me to worship through the worry. That no matter what changes in your life, things are going to come and go and things are going to be difficult and things are going to be hard and there's going to be all kinds of stuff that happens to your life but God has given us this tool called worship where we allow ourselves just to connect with Him, usher ourselves into His presence, into a recognition of who He is and what He's doing and allow ourselves to soak up in the love and grace and mercy of our Heavenly Father and how desperately all of us need those moments like I had in that Sunday school room in the eighth grade that there are things that only worship will get you through. That there are times when life seems to be crashing in all around you, and the only way to get through it is to worship through it. And there are times when you feel like worshiping the least is probably when you need to worship the most. And some of y'all are looking at me like, that's great, Matt, but that's a bunch of junk. Like, you don't know, I, like, I've tried that before. Before. But if you ever met those people, like it doesn't matter what they go through, they always seem to just handle it like with grace and, and with strength and with faith. You ever met those people, you know, like you used to look at those people like, there's no way you should be that happy when you're that broke. Like there's no way you should have that much peace given the state of your marriage. There is no way you should be feeling full of joy with that test result i mean the kind of people that that just they go through these things and they handle us i mean you just want to punch them in the face i mean it just makes you mad they've learned how to worship through the worry and what i hope to do over the next few weeks is to help us all together learn what it really means to worship god because you need what worship will give you you need what worship will produce in your life and there's maybe people in the, in, the, in the room right now, you're in a season right now, and you're wondering what you need, and I would submit to you that there's a good chance that what you need is to worship. And you're, you're going to look at me and say, that's, dude, that's the, that's the last thing I feel like doing right now. And then there's those people again in the room, you're thinking, like, I've done that before. Like, I've been going through those things, and Matt, I showed up at this church, and I, and I sang the songs, and I sit here, and I listened, and I even tried to do what the sermon said, and, and, and nothing, really, nothing really changed. I would submit to you, if, if worship hasn't made the difference, you ready? This might sting a little bit. It wasn't true worship. And what I want to do today is just kind of take a look at what, what is true worship. So grab your Bibles or, or pull it up in the app, John chapter 4. John chapter 4, if you remember this, this encounter, this is one of the, the most famous encounters that Jesus had with anybody in Scripture. It's this encounter with the woman at the well, this Samaritan woman. And we've looked at this story, and you know this story, and we've, we, you think we've attacked it from probably every angle. But there's a portion of the conversation that Jesus has with this woman that I just kind of want to, to focus on for just a minute this morning. John chapter 4, we're going to pick up with verse 19. And just remember, Jesus was a Jew. This woman that he's encountering was a Samaritan woman. And in this context, in this culture, Jesus would have, you don't address a woman, number one, that is not your kind of immediate family member. You just didn't do that. Much less a Samaritan woman, a woman of an ethnicity and a nationality that Jews did not associate with all. And he has this interaction with her. But there's a portion of this conversation that I think we often overlook that Jesus is trying to teach us something here. John chapter 14, take over verse 19. Sir, the woman said. I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. See, she already walks into this conversation, and she has some preconceived notions about what it means to worship, where and how you do it. And in this model, like for for the Jews, where they worship, their worship was confined to, contained in the temple, And so there's this argument, like, you know what, my people say that this is where where we're supposed to worship, where we have to worship, but your people say that it has to be in Jerusalem, in this temple, with all this ritual. And so she's trying to figure out, like, what's the deal with this whole thing of worship? Verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Like this would have been really confusing for everybody. Okay, so we won't we won't worship in the temple in Jerusalem, and we won't worship here on this mountain where my people worship. Like, no, this is where where we're supposed to worship. And see, some of us, even when I say the word worship, you got preconceived notions, right? Like, there's 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 a there's a thing like m- maybe it's this. You think worship is what we do in here. We come into this room and we sing the song. Or, or some of us, we grew up in. worship was the first, second, and third verse of those songs. Worship is worship is music. Like we have these preconceived notions about where and how we worship. And Jesus is about to just kind of blow her mind because he says, woman, there's a time coming when we won't worship here or we won't worship there. Verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And right there, Jesus is referring already to himself. He said, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worship worshipers the father seeks god is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth jesus saying there i'm about to usher in something new like no longer is worship of god going to be confined to a single building or a single place or a single people group See, here's the good news. Jesus is saying that God's looking for true worshipers. And see, some people have thought that those true worshipers could only look like this or or talk like this or be this skin color or have this much money or have this type of way of worshiping. And he's saying, you know what? True worshipers are not going to be confined and contained to any of those parameters anymore. This is good stuff, church. Like, because there's some of y'all thinking, you know what, in, just the, to be able to be in the presence of God like I'm talking about, where he's so real and so prevalent, you think that could never happen to you because you're so messed up. There's no way a holy God could ever want to hang out with you like that. And you think you're not worthy of ever being in the presence of God in that kind of way where you can actually see Him, feel Him, experience Him, almost taste who He is because of how thick His presence is in the room. And you're thinking, that is never going to happen for me because I have too much baggage and too much junk and too many skeletons in my closet. And what Jesus is trying to say, there's coming a time where it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, and where you're from, you're going to get the opportunity to experience a type of worship in the presence of a holy God like no one has ever seen before. Amen, somebody. He said, I'm looking for true worshipers. True worshipers. You know, he says that a couple of times. True worshipers. So, like, what's the difference? What is this What is this thing called worship that we're even talking about? What is this worship? I know some people, like, maybe you think, like, I don't really know how to worship. But can I submit to you, worship is not a learned skill. Worship is something that comes natural to all of us. You're, you're, you're a, you, are, you are created to be a worshiper. You are a natural worshiper. And the, can I be honest with you? you? You may be more limited in your worship in here than you are in any other place for some reason. We know how to worship. You can see worship on full display in so many arenas of this life and of this world and of this culture. Let me tell you, where you see pure worship maybe than any other place on the planet. It's not on Sundays. It's every Saturday in every college football stadium in America. You want to talk about watching people worship. I mean, look at the things that they do. People get there seven or eight hours before the game to tailgate. And they put on these colors. And then they go into this stadium and they scream like wild animals for like four hours. And it doesn't matter if it's raining or snowing or freezing cold or hot as blazes. They sit there, packed in there like sardines, going woo! Cheering for children they don't even know. Like 18, 19-year-old kids who are bashing their heads into each other. And people are going bananas. And now you can see that, Like you're gonna have to go to a real football program like Clemson and watch the Tigers. Don't go to a place like Alabama roll tears because they got beat by us back in January but come on can we can we just be honest and, and maybe y'all think this blasphemous that's pure unadulterated worship it's just poorly targeted see we know how to worship but where we mess up is what and who we worship and you know what I can't understand Is why we can't worship the Creator of the universe as passionately as we worship some other things. And don't get me wrong, man. I'm. I love sports. I love going crazy. I may be probably next to Preston Steele, our youth pastor. He might be a little bit nuttier fan than me. But there's some. I, I, there's nothing wrong with worshiping. There's nothing wrong with having fun and being passionate about your sports. But you know what? Th- and that's not the only place we worship. Some of you women, you walk into a shoe sale at at Belk, and you are worshiping. Some people, you know what? That boyfriend or girlfriend or that spouse, they become an object of your worship. Those beautiful, precious children have unfortunately become an object of your worship. But when we allow our worship to be targeted at anything other than God, we've misunderstood what's really going on in our heart. You with me? Come on, somebody. God is looking for true worshipers. See, worshiping is natural in you. There is something that longs in you to give and express worship. But if we're going to do true worship, the kind of worship that unlocks the presence of God and the power of God in our lives like I'm talking about, we have to understand that what God is looking for people is not just who people who can worship, but people who know how to truly worship. And so let me just give you a couple couple things that to me explain what true worship is. First is true worship acknowledges God for who he is and what he's done. If you want just a simple working definition of what true worship is, the kind of worship that Jesus is referring to, true worship acknowledges God for who he is and what he's done and i would intentionally put those two statements because it's not just acknowledging God for for what he's done and that's typically when we worship. When God gives us what we want, When we have blessings poured out in our lives, when things are going good, when we see God's hand moving, that's when we want to worship God. But let me just tell you, it's not just about worshiping God for what he's done. It's worshiping God for who he is. He is worthy of our worship no matter what you think he has done. That's who he is. Because see, when our worship gets dependent on what he's done, when he isn't doing what we want him to do, then our worship will cease. It's worshiping for who he is. You do realize if God never did another thing for you for the rest of your life, he's already done enough for you to worship him. True worship acknowledges God for who he is and what he's done. The Psalms are basically words of worship from David most of them are written by King David and they're these expressions of worship like Psalm 96 2 through 4 So sing to the Lord praise his name proclaim his salvation day after day declare his glory among the nations his marvelous um, deeds among all peoples for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise he is to be feared above all gods or Exodus chapter 15 verse 11 who among the gods is like you Lord who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. See, true worship acknowledges God for who He is and what He has done when He becomes the target of our worship. But we can do this in a way that is fake. And Jesus tells a parable in Matthew chapter 15 that I just want us to quickly look at as a reminder of really what God is looking for, of how we can truly acknowledge him for who he is and what he's done. Look at this conversation he has with the Pharisees. In, in Matthew chapter 15, pick up with verse 1. It says, then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Ooh, Right? Verse three, Jesus replied, And why do you break the command? Now, so they come to Jesus with this question, and he responds with the question And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. So Jesus is saying, why are you pointing out this tradition when, when there's traditions that you break as well, Because and you try to justify when you don't do the things that you're supposed to do, and uh, act in ways that you know God has called you to act? Like, why are you calling them out on this specific thing? Why are you picking and choosing what you're going to follow and what you're not? Verse 5 says, but you say that if anyone declares that What might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God. They are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. See, all these guys from the outside looking in, Seemed to be given every external expression of worship. Like it looked like they were checking all the boxes. They were doing all the right things. They were doing all the things that they thought they were supposed to do. In order to be an expression of worship to God. But Jesus knew that there was something missing. He says you're honoring me with your mouth. Like you're saying all the right things. You're doing all the right things. You're checking all the right boxes. You're going through the motions. You honor me with your lips. But I don't have your hearts. And that's not Okay. He continues on. This is verse 10. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And Jesus is like, I don't care. Verse 13. He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by its roots. Leave them. They are blind gods. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And Peter said, explain this parable to us. And Jesus said, are you still so dull? Jesus asked them, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth and goes into the stomach and then out goes out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. So Jesus is saying, you know what, It's it's an extension of what's coming out of their heart. He said, your lips are far from me. Your lips honor me, but your hearts are far from me. So this is something that we have to learn, that a true worship is not just an external expression. It is an internal submission. True worship is not just an external expression. It is an internal submission. You know what that means? That means you can come in here every single Sunday and from the first note have your hands raised and dance around and just be all into the worship and sing into the top of your lungs and saying amen every time I beg you for one. That you can cry and that you can walk through this place and you can go through all the motions and never once truly be worshiping God if he doesn't have your heart. Can I say something that's maybe kind of harsh, but I believe deep in my soul? If Jesus doesn't have your heart, he doesn't want your worship because it's not the kind of worship he's looking for. Jesus doesn't want you to come in here. and See, it's not songs from your mouth. It's a surrendering of your heart. True worship is not just an external expression. It's an internal submission. So those times when you're going through rough things and you come in here and you want to experience God in a powerful way because you need it and you want his presence in your life and you come in here and you go through all the emotions and externally from the outside looking in, it looks like you're engaged and having a great time and worshiping God, but when he does not have your heart, if you've not surrendered to him what's inside in all of you, then you're just going through the motions and Jesus is saying, that's awesome that you're giving me all this lip service, but... How about you just stop and let me have your heart? True worship is not just an external expression. It is an internal submission. And if you're going to worship him in the kind of way that unleashes the resources of heaven, it has to come from a surrendered heart. It can't just be lip service. Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Second Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. So you want to worship Him through the worry? You want to worship Him in a way that really honors Him and unleashes the resources of heaven in your life? It can't just be these external expressions it begins with an internal submission. He has to have your heart. So that begs the question, all right, how do I know if he has my heart or how, how do I give him my heart? There's three things I want to I leave you with. Number one, he has to have a position of authority. If God's going to have your heart, he has to have a position of authority in your life. Like you have to acknowledge him for who he is. Let me tell you a really cool lesson that I learned a long time ago that maybe we all need to learn. There is a God and you are not Him. Amen, somebody. There is a God and you are not Him. You have to allow Him to have a position of authority that He speaks into your life and He has say in everything that you do and everything that you say and everything that you think. The second thing is He has to have the priority of your attention. Not only does He have to have a position of authority, He has to have the priority of your attention. God will not settle for any other position in your life but first. First. God's not going to play sack and fiddle to your spouse, to your kids, to your job, to your hobbies. Like God has to be the priority of your attention. He needs to be number one or he's nothing. Then, after you've allowed him to have that authority and you put him in the right place where he gets the first of your attention, then you can give him an expression of affection. Then you can express your love and praise and gratitude to him. But he has to have a position of authority. He has to have the priority of your attention. Then you can give him... An expression of your affection. So, you want to worship in a way that makes a difference in the worry? Don't sing a song, give him your heart. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me? So, here's the question Does he have your heart? Does he have all of your heart? Are you wondering why you keep coming in here week after week and going through the motions and nothing changing? It's because your lips are close, but your heart is far. And maybe it's time to make a change. Maybe it's time to have the courage to surrender your heart. That begins with if you, if you don't have a relationship with God, if you don't know Jesus Christ, the scriptures tell us it's really simple to, to start that path. It says that if you believe with your heart, And confess with your mouth that He is Lord, that you are saved. And maybe that's what you need to do this morning. Maybe for the first time ever. Or maybe you're here and you just know like, man, you've just been going through the motions. And it's time for something different. And it's time to give Him your heart. We're going to finish with worshiping through singing one more time. One more chance to do more than just give God lip service. So what do you need to do? What do you need to surrender? What do you need to lay down? What do you need to give over? Maybe during the song you need to come and kneel around this platform, turn it into an altar and pray and just seek Him and worship Him authentically, maybe for the first time ever or for the first time in a really long time. Father, I pray that Your Spirit would move throughout this room, that You would speak, that You would have Your way. That God, if there are people in this room that have just settled for giving you lip service and they're just going through the motions and worship has just been this external expression has never come from an internal submission, that you would help us to have the courage to surrender to you, to give you our hearts so that we can experience you in the powerful way that you desire for us. God, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me. Let's worship together this morning. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.